From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me welcoming you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Radio Hour. Uh, This indeed is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're glad to welcome in Richard Hernandez, the uh, coordinator of the Catholic HIV AIDS ministry here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Richard, good day to you. Good day to you. How are you? Doing very, very well. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, Richard joins us by phone. Um, I hope our paths cross in person one day soon. Well, I hope so, too. Absolutely. Tell us... uh, Tell us about the HIV AIDS ministry here in the diocese. Uh, maybe take us back a ways uh, and, and uh, tell us a little bit about Father Healy's role and uh, et cetera. Uh, well, I wasn't uh, involved when the uh, ministry was initially uh, started, mm-hmm. but, uh, but uh, as you all know, uh, Bishop Quinn was quite an a extraordinary individual, and uh, he had uh, a uh, tremendous uh, desire to help those who who were in need, and uh, he wanted to uh, ensure that uh, his ministries uh, provided, uh, from the social justice perspective, uh, involvement in a variety of different causes. So he uh, became involved with uh, those uh issues uh, in society at that time, uh, which were, were included working uh, and serving uh, with the homeless. And he actually started and launched this uh, an AIDS hospice. And he wanted to uh, also ensure that a ministry was developed to ensure that there was ongoing attention to this, uh, this, this uh, social concern, this uh, epidemic, if you will. So he asked Father Healy to uh, take on this task. I'm not sure Father Healy really knew what he was getting into, but uh, <laughs> but I think all of us that have uh, your boss come to you and say, hey, you know, I got the best project for you, uh, right. and here it is, you know. So, you know, and for those of you who don't know uh, Father Healy, he's an exceptional individual i mean he's like uh he he's one the one and only and he continues to be the one and only uh, i don't don't think exceptional is even a strong enough word for him it's just it's mind-boggling i can't think of a word it's yeah yeah. i'm every every time i see him or run into him at an event or interview him here on the radio it's just i i go home and i tell my wife i say that is that is a holy man who he is, is he doing is, the Lord's work. That's such a holy man and such an unpretentious individual. Right. And it's just about getting, uh, getting things uh, done in his own way. He handwrites all his plans, his letters. <laughs> he, he does, does everything, you know, I've gotten he, some of those handwritten letters. Yes. yes. <laughs> And he, he, you know, uh, sometimes you have a little difficulty understanding some of the words, but, you know, hey, you know, I, I think you definitely get the message. But he he took the ministry on to provide, you know, pastoral and, uh, and spiritual uh, to meet the needs of these folks and subsequently uh, enhance the ministry to do work with the farm workers who who had uh, uh, immigrants who, who came to uh, this country and needed to be educated regarding the HIV AIDS mm-hmm. uh, uh, epidemic. And then he also took it into the prisons, and he did quite, a, quite an extensive uh, amount of work to ensure that people became aware of this. So through uh, the, um, the course of years, I think uh, he's, he, he met all those uh, those aspects of the ministry, uh, but primarily it was to uh, to help those who who needed assistance, day to day type of assistance. And I can't uh, I can't pronounce her name, but he was Sister uh, starts with an R. But uh, anyway, they kind of co-founded the uh, 
the ministry as far as you know ensuring that uh, the, the pastoral needs and the uh, and the uh, spiritual needs of individuals were were met. So this uh, was, I think, around 2004, and then through the years, uh, you know, different people have come in and uh, continued the ministry. So at this point in time, I'm. Uh, when Father Healy retired uh, a few years ago, five, about five years or so ago, even though he has not literally retired. He, <laughs> That's not a fair word either, is it? <laughs> yeah, I know. He's, he's a pastor up in Reading. He's a pastor uh, out in Placerville. He does, you know, he covers for priests. He does all kinds of stuff, and he's still going strong, you know. But uh, as far as trying to run the day-to-day operation of the ministry, uh, he, he, he said, hey, Richard, uh, how about uh, you take this over for me, and we'll figure out what we got to do next, you know, and so here I am, you know. Hey, Richard, what were, you, what were you doing at the time? What's your background? My background is I, uh, I was the uh, Director of Human Resources at the Hyatt Regency in Sacramento, mm-hmm. so I actually opened that hotel. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so, uh, but in the course of you know, you know, Hyatt's commitment was always you know to 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 do community types of uh, activities uh, and, and be involved with the community, if you will. So, being a Catholic and and, and being a you know a, a gay male, and uh, um, I just um, you know that was just kind of a, a natural calling because. Uh, I was um, I was around in, in 1981 uh, as, as a young man when this epidemic, um, you know, if you will, exploded, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, I just saw just the the, the terribleness of, of this disease right from the beginning, uh, and 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 the way that you know people became not only ill but they became ostracized not only from just Society in general, but many times from their family, and then, and then, you know, none of their needs were met. You know, either from a pastoral or from a spiritual. And in many cases, you know, so it was a really a very, very dark and very difficult time. So when I came to Sacramento, uh, as I started identifying different uh, groups that I wanted to participate in, this obviously uh, came to the forefront because. Uh, I was. Uh, I live in Midtown. I, I've been. Uh, I started going back to uh, Mass. Not started, but uh, once I, I arrived in Sacramento, I uh, I went to St. Francis. You know, and obviously at that time the Franciscans were there, and you know it was quite an quite an exciting uh, community. It still is an exciting community. It's just kind of. A little bit different, you know, but uh, but still the 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 belief to help uh, those in 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 need and and being uh, social advocates for the poor and the needy is certainly uh, there and uh, and so yeah, so I felt very comfortable there, and then we. We surrounded ourselves with uh, like-minded individuals, and we supported uh, Father Healy with uh, this ministry. So, talk about what the ministry provides. Now, I know, I know, uh, uh, my kids and I a couple of times went to uh, fundraisers that Father Healy would uh, sponsor for the HIV/AIDS ministry, and I wasn't sure if I was at a Sacramento fundraiser or a St. Patrick's Day celebration. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the many types of um, uh, uh, of fundraisers. That St. Patrick's uh, fundraiser that you're making reference to, uh, it was uh, uh, the the intention of the monies were to to be distributed between uh, the HIV uh, AIDS ministry and. Uh, the uh, the school uh, that uh, provides uh, assistance uh, to uh, an education school mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of their offhand but uh, but yeah but but that was only one of them I mean we there was a variety of different types of fundraising uh, uh, activities that he generated uh, in order to 
who uh, you know raised funds. But uh, I know he, you know, the Sacramento Region Community Foundation did some work for him. Uh, the uh, there's uh, different organizations that stepped up to help him raise money through the years. Yeah, I remember he had some uh, Irish clog dancers there. And, yes, and that uh, was it. my daughters. Just they were they were probably oh I don't know eight and ten or nine and ten or eleven something like that age, and they were just. They were just spellbound watching them. Yeah, he's uh, that was uh, that was quite an event that he uh, had. We we didn't do it, uh, you know, the last few years because of COVID. And right. quite honestly, uh, individuals uh, just kind of either went away or chose to participate and do other types of things. But as far as the needs are concerned, uh, right now, I mean, primarily. All the monies that we receive, uh, and we don't have a large budget. I mean, you know, we can go anywhere from about, uh, and I don't really even call it a budget. I just call it a fund, if you will, because all the monies that, that are in that fund, uh, which can be anywhere from ten to 15 to, you know, $17,000, all those monies go out to help individuals, families, uh, children, uh that are um, HIV types of uh, individuals with some kind of a need, either rental assistance, uh, you know, utilities assistance, uh, repairing a car so they can go back to work, uh, just uh, just the medicines. Uh, at times we've helped with funeral expenses. Uh, it's just that extra little bit of money that we can provide uh, because many of them live on very limited in- incomes, you know, because, uh, you know, they're either just get, they either have just part-time jobs because they can only work part-time or else they have, you know, they depend solely on like SBI or, or one of the other uh, programs. Uh, and then certainly when COVID hit, you know, many people lost their jobs, had no mm-hmm. jobs. And so we came through, you know, and were able to assist them. And I think that, you know, I know there's a lot of groups out there that do provide services for uh, HIV, like uh, Sunburst Projects, you know, One Health Community, uh, you know, uh, Golden Rule. Uh, those those folks all provide monies to Ryan White, but those monies are specifically designated for counseling and those types of things. But if people need beds, if they need uh, if they need bills paid or assistance with the bills, you know, no one's able to do that. We're, that's where we kind of step in and are able to, to help them uh, in those areas. I'm reading something here from Sunburst. It says, Catholic HIV AIDS fills a void between what we can do with our grant monies and being able to provide financial assistance to clients in crisis who find themselves without any help. Yeah, yeah and, uh, you know, and, and I think in, in, in the letter that you're reading, there's also some comments from Golden Rule and also one community. And it's really, right. I mean, people that work with anybody uh, in any kind of a, a situation that has a need, you know, specifically a a medical type of a need, whether it's cancer or whether it is. And many times, uh, in, in addition to having, uh, you know, experiencing all the, the, the ramifications of the disease, they still have these other types of needs, you know, either to, uh, to, you know, pay utilities or whatever the situation is. And these counselors, I mean, they become very close to these individuals. So I, I, I cannot tell you how many times I haven't heard from from these individuals that say, "Gosh, you know, I mean, the the, the little help that you can help, the, the little help that you provide, really just alleviates a lot of a lot of stress and anxiety for us because we we just have a difficult time to 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 say no or or that we aren't able to help and uh, and by you just providing some funds of any sort that just kind of lifts everybody and then we miraculously or, or or however come up with other ways to get additional monies to help that because certainly we aren't in the position to to do to help 
cover everyone's total needs. We are just there to to lend, if you will, seed money to provide that that at least that encouragement that there's people out there that are willing to to help. Yeah, so uh, one really community important. health said Catholic Charities through this ministry has provided stability to many of our clients by meeting critical needs of rental assistance, utilities, and auto repairs. Uh, uh, Golden Rule Services says there have been several cases of our clients needing emergency services. Catholic Charities has been the true prayer of last resort by providing assistance with temporary emergency housing, critical medical assistance, and funeral costs. You know, I think I think you've hit it on the head. Is is as much as providing material support, you're providing hope. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's uh, it's really quite rewarding. I mean, I, uh, I'm very fortunate that I'm, uh, that I have the time. I mean, but I have lots of other types of things that I, I, I need to do, but right now we're in the process of rebuilding, um, our, our, uh, board, uh, we're, you know, we're, we're rebuilding the ministry, but at the same time, we're continue to, to raise money. Uh, I wrote this letter. I sent out an appeal uh, if anybody is interested in making a, a donation, they can go to sc.org, which is the Sacramento Catholic Diocese.org, and on top you'll see Donate, and then you click on Donate, and then you just scroll down and you'll see uh, the Catholic HIV Ministries. Very good. But I, I think, yeah. Go, yeah. I, Richard, I'd recommend you find those Irish clog dancers and put on another yeah. fundraiser. <laughs> yeah. There, we definitely will do that, you know, and that 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 was uh, that was a good cultural mix because uh, indeed it, it was, was uh, it was Irish, uh, it was uh, Scottish people, it was, yep. there was Hispanic people, there was like sometimes people didn't know which foot was doing what, you know, but you know it was it was uh, quite uh, fun. You Bunch know, of fun, human fun. beings getting together and having That's fun. Right. Yeah, that's it. Nothing, nothing complicated. You know, it was really very nice. Well, we greatly appreciate all you do, and uh, appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. And uh, certainly, when you have an event coming up or uh, have a need that we can help with, you, know, you give us a shout. Yeah, and I think one thing I just kind of want to leave everyone with is that you know it's you know all of us can take raps because of either deserving or undeserving, but. For me, I, I think, you know, one of the things that really, really uh, moves me about this ministry is that, you know, at the end of the day, I am a, a Roman Catholic. You know, I, I, I believe in the beliefs of the Church, and, and like everyone else, I may at times struggle with some of the things that the Church has to say, but, but, but the Church has been an instrument for as long as I've been living and as I've been, you know, learning to serve others. I just think it's it's so important. I'm so grateful that our church does these kind of things. And so many people have had to, especially with this ministry in the beginning, had to deal, had to had to take chances because it wasn't a popular, it's still not popular, but it wasn't a popular disease, but they just saw the 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 horribleness of, of the disease and they just said you know this is what we need to do we need to serve we're catholics and that's what we're all about so so anyway so i just want to make sure that you know people recognize that there are catholics out there and they're in the forefront of all these things to try to help uh the the poor and the needy and you know, this is an example. So that's, I that's what our church your does, Richard. And that's, uh, that's you know, sometimes people forget about that. You know, at the end of the day, that's what we're all about. You know, is to help the poor and the needy and those who've been disenfranchised by the church, you know, or by others, you know, whatever the situation may be. You know, so so yep, Richard, yep. I appreciate it. Very well said, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Okay, and they make sure that everybody knows to go to scd.org, donate, and find us. Very good. Thanks, Richard. Okay. God bless. That's uh, Good luck to you. Bye-bye. Yeah, thanks so much. That's uh, Richard, uh, Richard Hernandez, who is the coordinator of the uh, Diocesan Catholic HIV AIDS Ministry here in the Diocese of Sacramento. The uh, <clears throat> Red Mass is a traditional gathering of members of the 
legal profession. Uh, it is uh, going to take place on November the 2nd, Wednesday, this Wednesday. Uh, the traditional gathering of the members of the legal profession and elected appointed officials to invoke the aid of the Spirit of God in their deliberations for the year to come. Attorneys, judges, elected and appointed officials uh, uh, invoke the aid of the Spirit of God in their deliberations for the year to come. So it's, uh, uh, it's a great, great event. Uh, and uh, uh, everybody is invited, not just uh, judges and lawyers and uh, uh, others in the legal profession. And then there is a, a dinner follows the Mass. The 15th annual, the, the Mass begins at 5.15 p.m. at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament with uh, Bishop Soto as the prim- principal celebrant. And the dinner, the, bench and the annual Bench and Bar Award Dinner, the 15th annual, uh, uh, was, features the presentation of the St. Thomas More Award, uh, to uh, Honorable Stephen Basha, who is a retired Superior Court judge from Yolo County, uh, although he's still very active in the legal profession, uh, both in and out of the courtroom. And that will take place at the Sutter Club, and uh, tickets are available for that. You can go to scd.org backslash Red Mass to learn all about it. Well, we are uh, <coughs> pleased to go uh, up the valley to the great uh, city of Reading, and we are pleased to welcome in Phil Copus. Phil, how are you? Great. I don't know that I've ever heard Reading called a great city, but uh, well, but I take it. It's but beautiful. When you come from when you come from the little town of Davis, uh, Reading's the big t- the big city. <laughs> you're the you're the the biggest city between uh, Sacramento and Medford. That's a true story. The only <laughs> population. And there, there's a lot of open ground between, <laughs> between here and there, isn't there? Oh, yes, yes. We're, we're accustomed to hearing people talk about Northern California in reference to San Francisco. So, uh, yeah, no, we're... I know the other, the other day I was out uh, riding my bicycle kind of on the edge of town <clears throat> facing north, and it was one of those uh, uh, windy days. And, oh, my goodness, um, it was... I said to my wife, I always said to my wife, I there was nothing stopping that wind all the way to Corning. You know, it was. No. <laughs> it was. Well, these days you gotta say a prayer whenever it's windy like that. Yeah. Dry, dry. Dry, dry, indeed, and it's been yeah. The the north wind is part of the valley, especially in the fall and spring, and now it's a fire hazard. Yeah. Yeah. So far, it's this has been a great year by comparison to recent ones for us up here. So. Well, Bill, tell us a little bit about what you're doing up there in the great city of Reading. Well, this is, I, last year I finished up they let my uh, eighth year as principal, which was uh, quite a journey, and we've had a lot of rather extraordinary blessings along the way, and some folks turn out big time to make sure we'd have our, our school uh, be alive and well. This is St. Joseph's School? St. Joseph's School in Reading, yeah. Yep. It was in a, it was in a bad, bad place, you know. A lot of the Catholic schools have struggled mightily as things have changed over time and facilities get expensive and things like that. And this last, um, I guess it's almost been two years now ago, um, we ended up with an unsolicited, how can we help you, um, from a man who has turned into a saint in our minds. Um, and we've come to find out the minds of a lot of others. And started off with a phone call where we thought we might get some concrete benches or something because there's a local JFA construction plant mm-hmm. uh, that I grew up assuming was just a local rock quarry. Right. And uh, turns out not so much. Um, and uh, John Shea uh, has done extraordinary work for Catholic schools, particularly down south, but across the country. And um, our dreams came true, so we've had a almost virtually complete remodel uh, under his patronage, and it's been a, been an incredible ride. So, what inspired him to do this? That's hard to hard to put a hard to put a pin in it because he's you know I have uh, have the honor of getting to know him a bit over the last couple of years. He's an extraordinarily humble man, um, which is. Incredible for a lot of different reasons, but uh, doesn't like attention. And but um, 
a lot of lot of little pieces, but he's done incredible work for Catholic education. They had uh, he uh, his his oldest son went to school here for one year when the business was moving from Oregon down on south, and they were working on some projects in the region. And um, we've had some families that have worked for the the local branch of the concrete, the the mixed plant. Um, and uh, some of them came in one day and said, "Hey, you know, you know, how's the school doing?" They'd had some kids coming through and talked to them, and you know, we had had some dreams of being open that had expanded into dreams of you know being as successful as possible, and we asked what some of those dreams were, and started to present them over the months, and ultimately ended up with a with a call from from John that's you know asked me a whole litany of incredibly insightful questions with regards to the ministry of Catholic education, um, which is, that's just fun for me. I'm, I'm obsessed with it, obviously. <laughs> it is not. And he said at the end of that, you know, I think we can help you out. And that was an extraordinary uh, moment because I knew it was on the list and I was expecting maybe point out an item. Um, and so the community really is galvanized behind putting a bunch of sweat equity into the project to make the most of, of it and to try to honor um, that gift, if you will. And we're just now coming to a close of, like I said, remodeling the school with floors to ceilings to lights to doors. It's, it's incredible. The school was built in, in 1946, and not a lot had been done since. The floors and everything, lights, everything was still all original for when I went to school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 1946, special year in my life. Um, <laughs> uh, we don't need to go further than that. Um, but uh, you see a lot of schools in that, you kind of sort of in that condition. You know, people have tried to keep them up and keep them up and keep them up, but it's, it's hard to keep ahead, if you will. And now you went to school there, is that correct? Yes, I went to, I went to St. Joe's. I was born in 83. I went to school here. Um, really during an expanding time, and they opened up another middle school in our area, St. Francis, and then they opened up a high school in our area, Bishop Quinn, and um, and a number of other schools in the area, and uh, we're the last one uh, within 30 miles. So uh, different trajectory, different time. Some extraordinary people that have put a ton of time, energy, and effort to try to keep up these facilities, a lot of these schools. Um, But, you know, payroll and benefits are just demonstrably more expensive than they used to be. Running a school is just more involved and expensive than it used to be. And many of our schools, really across the country, but many of our schools are essentially um, being tasked with trying to do more with with less. Right. To uh, stack on top of a generation prior and accomplish more with, with less resources and and as such. So it's... Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a heavy lift, and the facilities, you know, they last for a big chunk of time, and it wasn't as if everybody's able to, let alone had the foresight to try to squirrel away. What are you going to do when you need a roof? What are you going to do when, you know, the doors and, and floors, and it goes from there. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like I said, it's been extraordinary. We've been very blessed to make some big end roads and, and do a bunch of perimeter stuff on the property and make some some major improvements, and so to have um, the folks associated with Shea and to have them take an interest in and do that, it's really a dream come true. I mean, for here, it you know, feel like it was a miracle. Um, you know, prayers answered. Mm-hmm. We had um, two folks, actually, that had put their heart, soul, sweat, treasure, everything into the place um, that were getting up there in years, um, and uh, one of them was here 40-plus hours a week doing volunteers and maintenance and helping run events and everything under the sun, beautiful man, fellow uh, uh, knight, uh, Glenn Thompson. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, suddenly, well, he had cancer came back, got real sick, and um, would have loved to have seen him be around to see the project come to fruition, but feel so blessed that before he passed, he was able to know that it was happening. And, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, so it's just, uh, like I said, more than just, more than just a roof, more than just pretty things. You know, it allows us to focus on the ministry of, of educating kids and, and bringing them up in a set of values instead of worrying so much about 
uh, how are we going to keep the door on the hinges? In <laughs> yeah. our case, literally. I mean, yeah. I, my door is always open because it fell off the hinges. Yeah, my door is always open because you know, it doesn't lock. <laughs> um, and yeah. that's, you know, in a lot of ways, that's where we're at. Whatever you couldn't just do with the construction set skill, I was blessed to grow up in a family that my dad has forced me to do those things. Um, but at a certain point, you need, you need funds. So I, w- I was joking earlier, but uh, am I correct in saying there's, there's not another Catholic school uh, between uh, going, no. nor- going north uh, uh, between you and Medford or maybe Ashland? No, no. We have, um, we've got a cluster of Catholic schools, which is, is what I'm uh, doing starting this year, is doing advancement for the cluster of Catholic schools up here in the north. But mm-hmm. um, we used to have, um, but in the last, uh, last 12 years, um, there's a longer list of schools that have closed in the region that are still open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is extraordinarily um, humbling. You know, hopefully we can, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time these last few years trying to reflect and learn from that. And, and the schools that remain, um, many of them have been able to try to grow out and you know, are improving. And, and some are still, um, you know, still very much struggling. There's mm-hmm. a lot of dynamics at play. Um, not the least of which, of course, is the facility needs that, um, you know, staffing, trying to find capable, quality people that are willing to work for the uh, willing to work for the church. Uh, you know, credential teachers that are willing to take that hit because it's uh, it's not financially lucrative. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, just makes for a challenge. You know, um, but no, we've got uh, Redding, Chico, Red Bluff, Calusa, Oroville. Oh no, I was talking about North. Oh, there's no school. You absolutely right. Yeah. There's no North or Redding. Oh, yeah, I'm a, we're the ones south, yeah, or, or east or yeah. west. But uh, Everything is south of Redding as far as our Catholic schools go. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got a few small parishes up north. Um, Does people, we'll, we'll get to Medford to the, for the next, uh, the next Catholic school. Do people uh, in Redding think everything is south of Redding? <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, for us, you know, we've got either to drive about, you have to go 150-plus miles to get to uh you know, get to Oregon. I mean, right. for wedding folks, Sacramento, it's, well, it, it takes me less time from where I live to get to uh, that tax-free shopping. Now, it takes me less time to get right. to Medford than it does to get to the Pastoral Center. Yeah, yeah. Especially because getting yeah. to Medford, there's no traffic. And, <laughs> it is indeed tax-free shopping in, uh, in the state of Oregon. And if you're, <laughs> if you're at 8 or 9% uh, in your county, uh, yeah, that feels pretty good. Yeah, not. It used to be a big thing over the years. Yeah. Now, hardly anybody goes because gas is so much that you're not. Yeah, not, you're, <laughs> not, yeah you're not. Yeah, you're not uh, saving a lot of money with this five, six bucks a gallon to get yeah, all the way. Yeah, there's not a lot of electric uh, <laughs> yeah, charging right. slaps north of Reading. Actually, you might have to get to Medford for that to happen. Actually, I know that. somebody that uh, has a Tesla, and they and they they commute to Oregon, you know, on a fairly regular basis, and they. They said there's, uh, it's either in Mount Shasta or Dunsmuir. I think it's Mount Shasta that they Mount have. A, they have a place they can they can charge up. <laughs> That's your last chance. You better hope the weather cooperates. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's you know a hybrid's your best bet here if you're if you're yeah. going to be so inclined. Indeed. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your school. How did how did you get through COVID? How did how did that work with you folks? You know, it, you know, tail two cities in a lot of ways. At the front end of COVID, our counties weren't seeing the cases. We had all the buildup and animosity that went with that, but we had to, you know, follow, you know, the state's rules and so forth for Catholic schools. We, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're not outliers. Um, and then, you know, and all the diocesan and policies and so forth. So we were able to, we were able to be open because our county allowed for it. We actually opened three weeks. Um, we opened on July 27th um, at the front end of that first year school year to go oh, into COVID. Wow. So- so it, because was it, opening early allowed us to stay open in the event the rules were going to change. But we were open the whole time. We were in, in class, but we, we had to rework the whole campus. Uh-huh. You know, open up rooms that hadn't been used, put everybody six feet apart. I mean, it was quite the, uh, it was quite the extraordinary undertaking. Um, it allowed us to be very ready a couple of years later to know exactly what we would have, what our hopes and dreams would be when... <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Mr. Shea came along. Um, but no, we were blessed to be able to be closed in that first spring, like everybody else, went to distance learning immediately because Catholic school teachers are nothing if not super flexible. Yep. 
And then we opened the next year, and we stayed open. And then cases started to come heavy into our counties um, because we had varying different, you know, challenges. Mm -hmm. We were blessed to continue to be very, um, well, I think we're the only school with more than 100 kids that never closed. I mean, we stayed open. We sent one cohort down home once for two weeks and another cohort down a different time. And that would be like a whole class? That's a class for mm-hmm. us. You know, we got 160 plus kids, so that's mm-hmm. a class for us. So we were, we were very blessed. Everybody galvanized to do what they needed to do. We went through a copious amount of hand sanitizer. Um, we, we might be all obsessed with keeping things clean now, but <laughs> <laughs> we stayed open, which for us in a small town, you know, I mean, a lot of our parents you know, are nurses at the hospital. You know, a lot of our parents are those essential workers, if you will. Right. So, Working from home for the vast majority of parents meant that, you know, there wouldn't be anybody at shifts at, at the hospital or at the VA or at, you know, so it was really critical for us to stay open, and we were very blessed to be able to do so. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it wasn't like everybody. It was a waking nightmare. Um, feels like a decade passed in two years on some days, and on other days it feels like it was yesterday, but... Well, the one thing that I've, I've noticed throughout the Catholic schools that, you know, when they went to distance learning right off the bat, uh, like almost over the weekend, uh, is that the teachers all had the faculty and the administrators, they all had this sense of, miss- of mission. We're going we're gonna to make not, hey, we can't do that. It's impossible. We're just going to close. Is no, we, we, we have a mission here, and we're, we're going to make sure it happens, and we're going to fulfill that mission. Well, absolutely. I mean, if you choose to teach, if you choose to work for the church in general, but if you choose to teach in the Catholic schools, you know, you're you're just as credential. I mean, I have my master's in admin. You're just as credential as, as anywhere else. Right. But choosing to make demonstrably less, um, particularly in retirement, and that means that from by default, you know, you you care. You know, you have an extraordinarily you know mission driven. Both my parents started off as Catholic school teachers. My mm-hmm. dad went into business, and then my mother when we moved up here. I ended up in public school. I spent a decade as a public school teacher, um, and most of my friends are in that system, if you will. Um, but it's an extraordinarily different experience between the two. Uh, you know, as principal, there wasn't a question of whether or not you know, we closed on Thursday afternoon. I think it was, and stuff went out Friday and Monday. They were in online class, and that's not something we had ever done before. That's just there was, there was no teacher. Everybody showed up on the weekend. And was like, how do we do this? You know. <laughs> That's just mind-boggling. You know, it's just uh, uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a testament to, you know, to their dedication. And as a result, you know, there's all these, um, we're getting national report card and data back now and to see what's happened across the, uh, the system writ large. And the result in Catholic schools has just been radically different. You know, we, we didn't see any learning loss. I'm not going to say that it wasn't difficult and it didn't think to not let the kids play. I mean, we couldn't do choir for the better part of a year and a lot of other things. But they were at school every day. They were learning every day. They got um, at least something closer to normal every day. And that is, um, over the years, it'll be interesting to see uh, the benefit in that. You know, they didn't lose, uh, they didn't miss out on near as much as the average peer elsewhere. That's I mean, that is extraordinary. Well, the the numbers have been coming out just in the last week uh, yeah. nationally, and they're stunning. Uh, the decline in proficiency in in so many areas uh, throughout the country, and you guys dodged it all. You didn't dodge well, it. We, you didn't dodge it. You affirmatively took care of it. It pu- pushed really hard through it. I mean, yeah. I remember in every diet, you know, pushed really hard through it. Everybody really tried to galvanize, get together. And I know that spent every waking moment over that summer, like, you know, like every other Catholic school principal, um, and, like, and, and like a lot of peers in education, we didn't have the obstacles to be able to, the only obstacle was, do we have the funds to get the sanitizer? Do we have the, you know, mm-hmm. do we have enough desks to put one person at every two-person table and separate, you know? Right. Those were our challenges, is how do we pay for it? Um, we didn't have any of the challenges of who's going to do this, or whose duty schedule, or contract this, or hours of the day, right. what, you know. They're none of that. And so, I mean, we spent every waking moment for several weeks um, in meetings, Zoom below, I remember, with our executive director at the time, Lincoln Snyder, um, going over, okay, 
we can write some protocols. We can make this happen. It wasn't, um, you know, there was nothing that, there was, there was no obstacle of, well, that can't happen, or we can't do it that way, or they will never go for that. It was just, what do you need to do to be open? And, you know, it's like, sort of like yes, we can sort of attitude, which is commendable. You know? Yeah, we we talked to Lincoln many times during that uh, yeah. stretch, and I wasn't sure if he was uh, working for county health department or who he, it was just like. Yeah. He, I think most of the time he was, uh, if he was a guest by phone, he was at the county health department or yeah. dealing with the state. So when you had, you know, you you obviously had to follow state law, but it seems okay. as if a lot of the regulations came down to the county level. Was Shasta County what you primarily worked with, public health in Shasta County? You know, most of the counties in California ended up being the counties could add restrictions, mm-hmm. they couldn't take them away. But they couldn't take away, so, that's right. You know, yeah. We had to follow all the national stuff and all the state stuff and then all the county stuff. And some counties had more expectation than others, but for the, for the most part, it was, you know, it was a percentages game. And once you were open, it was all about as long as you could keep your own case loads away, mm-hmm. then you could stay open. And so really, you know, the proof was in the pudding of making sure that, you know, hey, you know, that kid just coughs slightly. No, no, you know, yeah. <laughs> if the kid's sick, keep him home. Um, you know, and so it was, but it was very much the tip of the spear. I mean, I, I, um, I think it was extraordinary the efforts that went in to, um, to being open. I mean, we met as the principals groups constantly to go over the latest and greatest in the rules and to troubleshoot. I mean, it really was an impressive coming together um, of folks to make it happen. You know, just to make it happen. And we also were privy to, like, every county would have its county admin meetings with the public schools as well. So I'd be in those each week. And it was uh, it was night and day. Those are a lot of, like, some of those people are very good friends, so it wasn't like a better than them sort of thing. It's just two very different systems, and one of them, sure. the county schools, were able to be more nimble. You're, yeah, um, you were more flexible, more nimble. That's absolutely yeah, right. And, and, and in our meetings, nobody was complaining about, oh, the staff, won't you know do x or what have you it was oh this teacher did went the extra mile and, and is making this happen and they're going to do more lessons because they know the kids are listening out so they're going to stay after to do x y and z and in the other meetings it was often principals that were just apoplectic about their inability to get folks on board mm-hmm. you know that was the public and private contrast and there's some extraordinary stories there too and but um our hands were less tied because our funds are less tied and and, you know, and again, we're mission, you know, it's very mission driven and it's universal. It only takes one person to row in the wrong direction to really, to really bog down a system. Sure. And we're pretty free of that, which is, you know, I said, it's a real blessing, a real testament that we're a ministry of the church. And I think we often, in conversations, we always say Catholic school, and I usually talk about our school ministry because that's what it is. It's why we exist. <laughs> Exactly. Well, we just teach them to do reading the math. We really don't have a purpose. We can can pay our taxes and just be happy with reading the math elsewhere. So, how is how has your enrollment been through all this? Uh, Good. You know, for us, um, for us, we continued to trickle up. Some schools saw a nice jump because in some counties, schools made less adjustments than others. So, some public school uh, folks, you know. Uh, left that system and went into ours, and we've been able to retain some of those in the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. For us, you know, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty conservative area, and so for us, we picked up some new families that we retained, but because we also were following the masking requirements and the rules that went along with it because we wanted to, you know, be open, um, not all schools in our county did that. Some right. of the uh, smaller private schools that aren't a part of our group didn't, and so we did lose some families to there, you know, um, so a bit of a wash for us, mm-hmm. but all in all, we took the new ones, and we were able to stay open. You know, those schools that took some of our students that weren't following those rules to a school, they spent lots of time being closed. Yeah. Because they had a yeah. lot more cases of COVID. Sure. So for us, it was like, hey, we stayed open. Every day you were able to drop off your kiddo and go to work, which was, was huge for us. Yeah, huge for us, huge for the parents, huge for the kids. Huge for the kids. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Bill, it's so good to talk with you. Glad, glad to hear the North State's in such good shape and uh, not surprised. And uh, uh, God bless Mr. Shea and uh, his his company. And uh, Yeah, uh, he's been an, he's an extraordinary man. I mean, he, um, he passed this last week. Um, 
and had a um, just a, a, a fitting funeral to his legacy down at the cathedral in L.A., standing room only. Um, but uh, just an exceptionally humble, grateful, special person. I think I don't think I've ever talked to more people at a funeral before that felt cheated as if the man was gone too soon at the uh, young age of 96. So uh, wow. quite a testament. And uh, we certainly will try to strive to honor that, that legacy as best we can, just trying to do better, little better every day. Very good. Well, God bless your ministry there, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. I uh, hope our paths cross again soon. I'll, uh, uh, next time I'm heading north, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, slow yeah, down and ready. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, God bless you. Hey, okay. thanks. Thanks so much. Take care. That's uh, Bill Copas, the uh, uh, principal at St. Joseph's School in the great city of Reading. Yeah, so much going on here in our in our diocese. I was just uh, giving the announcement on the uh, the Red Mass coming up on Wednesday, the second of November, All Souls Day, five fifteen p.m. at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament with Bishop Jaime Soto as the principal celebrant. Honorable Stephen Basha, the St. Thomas More Award recipient, which will take place at the dinner, the 15th Annual Bench and Bar Award Dinner at, following the Mass. The Mass is at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament, 5.15 p.m. this Wednesday. The dinner is at the Sutter Club, very near the Cathedral, 1229th Street. And uh, uh, just a great evening. Go to scd.org backslash Red Mass. And of course, the Annual Gala and Auction, 50 Years and Ready to Do More, the Sacramento Life Center. Uh, that takes place at the Hyatt Regency downtown uh, on Saturday, this Saturday, November the 5th. They also the uh, Baby Basket Drive to fill a basket is December the 1st. All that right around the corner, especially the big dinner. That is their big fundraiser for the year. And then uh, if, you, if you still want tickets, contact uh, Lourdes Ramirez. She is at 916-451-4357 or go to saclife.org to learn all about it. Or you can contact Lourdes, L-O-U-R-D-E-S-R at saclife.org. Again, 916-451-4357. And it is uh, this Saturday evening at the Hyatt Regency downtown. Well, we are uh, pleased to... uh, Welcome in Patty McEgan from uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel Auxiliary. Patty, uh, how are you doing today? I love nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, you had a big event coming up around the corner. Uh, it's it's still a ways away, but we want people to circle the date and know right. about it. Uh, tell us uh, tell us about this great event. Uh, it's going to take place in in uh, in uh, Georgetown. Yeah, right. It's, it's going to actually be at St. Mel's uh, Hall. The, 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 the lunch will be at St. Mel's, but it's for the, uh, yeah. the sisters right. the sisters in Georgetown, yeah. which is yeah. not Georgetown, so. Washington, D.C. It's Georgetown, California, <laughs> in the foothills. That's right. It's, it's right up the hills from uh, Auburn, actually, right. Right. right up the road. So let me tell you a little bit about it. Uh, this will actually be our number six, our sixth luncheon annual luncheon that we hold for the Carmelite Monastery in Georgetown. The Carmelite Sisters in Georgetown have actually been uh, in the diocese many, many years, since the 1950s, and they've been, uh, they were first originally, of course, on Stockton Boulevard, but when UC Davis grew up around them, they Mm -hmm. moved up the road to uh, Loomis, and then up to Georgetown. So uh, being up in Georgetown, they're kind of far away from the diocese center. So, you know, people tend to forget that they're there. So the auxiliary exists to uh, remind people that the Carmelite sisters are here in our diocese, and they're here to pray for all of us, but they pray particularly for our priests and for our bishop. So they were invited to the diocese to do that very thing, to pray for the bishop and the priests, and they have uh, continually done that since 1953. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and so we have this beautiful monastery up in the foothills of Georgetown, uh, just right outside of Georgetown, 
and uh, and since 19 since 2016, the uh, the auxiliary has been holding luncheons for them. Now we're the new auxiliary. There was an auxiliary that supported them since the 1950s, and also had luncheons, an annual luncheon uh, to raise funds for them. So we're not new. We've been around for many, 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 many years, but um, we we reorganized ourselves in 26, 2015, actually. So um, this is our number six luncheon for them, and it's going to be held at St. Mel Parish in Fair Oaks. Right. Uh, now, for the first um, one, two, three, four, four years, uh, since 2016, we had the luncheon in October, or the first weekend in October. You might remember that I've been on before to talk yes, about it. Yes, right. But in 2020, uh, 2020, we had to cancel because of COVID. And then in 2021, we actually moved the luncheon to February of 2022. And we held it last year, this past February, uh, on the 12th which was just two days before Valentine's Day. So our right. theme is kind of, you know, show some love for the sisters kind of a thing. Yeah. And uh, this year our luncheon is also going to be in February. It'll be February 11th. So we, we've moved to that February time slot now. And uh, it, um, it, it's kind of a, um, well, it's a Valentine's theme for certain. And... Uh, so, we, you know, we're trying to just remind people that the monastery is here and raise funds for them. We have a lovely luncheon. We have um, a spaghetti uh, four-course meal with, complete with dessert, and we even have wine available. Um, we have a raffle, a really fun raffle. We have a silent auction with some great gifts, uh, beautiful artwork, Tahoe um, homes, um, something always from uh, the pottery world and uh, just some really lovely gifts. And then um, we have the lunch and we have a slideshow also about the sisters. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. People really enjoy it. Priests come. Um, we're supported by the whole diocese. Di- different parishes are, are very uh, excited to help us and support us. So Do you usually have it at St. Mill? Well, the first two years we had it at St. Joseph's in Auburn, mm-hmm. and then we had it uh, at St. Mel's for those next two years. Right. And then in 2022, we had it again at St. Mel's, and we've also booked at for 2023 to be at St. Mel's. But we're open to being at other people's parishes, and I know St. Clair has offered, and um, even Presentation Parish has, mm-hmm. has offered. So we're, we are definitely open moving around. Um, Father Aldrin at St. Mel's was really eager to have us, so we've been his guest for a number of years, but we are happy to move to other parishes, too, because we are not a parish organization. Right. We are a diocesan organization. Exactly. Yeah, you know, right. it, 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 it it's helpful sometimes. I know St. Mel's does such a wonderful job, and they have such a beautiful hall. Um, but sometimes it's helpful just to move. I know uh, with the, the I, I attend the vocations dinner every year and mm-hmm. and they move around all over everywhere you know and it's right. it's it's always it's it's great for me and and uh some of my kids to go to it and uh uh and and see the different parishes and see the different towns that the mm-hmm. encompass the diocese of sacramento so that, that yeah. it, it, it has its benefits both ways for sure that's right that's right it's great both ways and and we love meeting new people and we love working with the, usually the Knights of Columbus in the parish, mm-hmm. help us out with preparing the food. So that's always been really helpful and really supportive, and it's been great working with the Knights. I just, I love all the Knights, so <laughs> uh, we'll probably, uh, we'll probably move for 2024, but for 2023, we're, we're still at St. Mel's. Well, I, I've always said, uh, if if you know the Knights of Columbus are in the kitchen, you're going to be well fed. <laughs> that's right. They, they really and do. They're so kind. <laughs> they, yeah, they really do. Yeah. They make they make it yeah. fun. They make it really they fun. Do. Yeah. They're really a fun group of people to work with. Every time we've really enjoyed it. So. Yeah. 
So yes. the the monastery in, in Georgetown, was it built uh-huh. specifically by the sisters, or did they take over an existing b- building and no. property? Yeah, it was built by by uh, people who loved the sisters and helped them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Jim Upsall was one of the builders, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of the original builder, um, but there have been several different buildings that have been involved, and uh, always great people and 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 very helpful, and um, they've added on, and they've done different things over the years. Uh, they're, they're down to 13 sisters at the moment. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes up and down. It's been up to 16, and now it's at 13. Um, so uh, it's kind of been up and down. But uh, they're great people. They range in age from young to my age to a little bit older. So they're... Uh... Oh, here's one. I just got another. I got a note here. Jim Letcher was the original builder. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad you got you got you got the note and got the name out there. Yeah, That's I great. got the note here. Yeah, Jim Letcher for sure, and his son still has done work up there. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that contribute work up there. Um, go up. We we organize work days every now and then, and go up and do whatever Mother asks us to do. For example, rake pine needles mm-hmm. or spread bark. Uh, there are people that come up and split logs. Um, and uh, there's a nice couple right now that is the caretakers. So uh, they're well taken, pretty well taken care of, really. And people do like to uh, come up, go to Mass. We just built a rosary walk also. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so right down below Father's house is this beautiful rosary walk. Uh, Father, Father William Ryan is the, is the um, chaplain up there. Mm-hmm. And he's a retired priest. He's just a wonderful priest. And so he likes to walk our rosary walk. And the rosary walk is up there for anyone that likes to come up and make a visit to the um, chapel and then uh, walk the rosary walk and, and pray. So, oh, how beautiful. That's that's Yeah, great. open every day. We, right. we, and there's Mass every day at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people that want to make the drive. It is about an hour drive from Sacramento. So uh, you have to kind of plan ahead. Well, we'll put that on our our family's list of of things to do soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's a beautiful chapel. Beautiful. Patty, uh, before you go, uh, how can people Mm -hmm. get tickets to the the luncheon? Right. People can get tickets on our website. That's the first one. Our website is and that's all big one word, no capitals, just C A R M E L I T E A U X I L I A R Y dot org. Auxiliary dot org. Very good. We have an email. You can take an email us. Carmelite Helpers at Gmail dot com. Very good. That's Very good. And Carmelite Helpers. Again, it is February 11th at noon at St. Mel's Parish, which is on Pennsylvania Avenue in Fair Oaks. That's right, $25 per person. So we'd like to have anyone from the diocese come on in and bring some friends and and get some tickets and come and um, join us for for lunch. Sounds like great fun. Thanks thanks so much, Pat, for a great cause. Uh, Thanks so much, Patty, for all you do. And uh, we'll be sure and get you on the program uh, as it gets a little closer as well to remind people. Okay, thanks, Bob. I'd appreciate that. Thanks, Patty. God bless. Sure. Yeah, Thank thanks. you. God bless you, too. Yeah, Bye-bye. Thank you so much. That's uh, Patty McEgan uh, uh, from the Our Lady of Mount Carmel uh, Auxiliary, uh, the uh, wonderful, wonderful Carmelite Monastery up in Georgetown, up in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada. That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. Bow down and worship him now. How great.